It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Today, Pastor Rick is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, in a sermon he's entitled, Peace Under Pressure. As we continue in this Joy in Our Journey series, this is part 15. Let's join Rick now in this sermon. When was the last time you felt intimidated? I would imagine if you live in southern Florida right now, you're feeling intimidated. I have lived there, lived through a couple of hurricanes, know what it's like to have to put plywood up on my windows and hunker down with no electricity for hours on end, wondering, is the oak tree in my backyard going to come crashing through my roof? (laughs) Intimidation. Interesting, the word intimidate literally means to make timid, or we use it in other ways, to make one fearful. So intimidation is the pressure that we feel to take a course of action out of fear. Um, to take a course of action that we would not normally choose. At the start of a brand new building project, a tough old construction foreman lined up his crew and told them, the first thing I want you to know is I can like anyone on my crew. A husky, six foot two, 260 pound young man stepped out of the line and said, you can't lick me. The foreman looked him over and said, you're right, I can't. You're fired. (laughs) Does the name Marty Springfield ring a bell to any of you who follow Major League Baseball? Marty Springfield at one time was the supervisor for all of the American League umpires. He wrote a book about his experience being an umpire. And he says, I'll never forget my very first assignment behind home plate. He said it was a game in Washington, D.C., and the slugger at that time, Frank Howard, who played for the Senators, was up uh, behind the plate. And on the very first pitch, Springfield called a knee-level fastball a strike. Howard turns around and yells at him and says this, Get something straight, buster. I don't know where you came from or how you got to the major leagues, but they don't call that pitch on me a strike. Understand? The next pitch came in in the very same location. Springfield yelled, two! Howard looks back and says, two what? Springfield, I mean, and Springfield said, too low, way too low. <laughs> See, we can be intimidated at work. We can be intimidated at play. We can be intimidated at home. We can be intimidated at school. The pressure to cave in, to back up, to back down, can happen anywhere at any time. And the one thing that intimidation is really good at doing is removing any sense of peace that we might be feeling. See, if we're not really careful, under intimidation, we can start being fearful, we can start fretting, we can start being anxious. We find it hard to sleep well. The muscles in the back of our neck feel like they are on fire, and we start consuming Zandek as if it was candy. And by the way, it doesn't take a whole lot of intimidation to affect us. Um, Someone says it's like a dense fog. Intimidation is. Did you know that a dense fog that might cover seven square blocks of a city, a hundred feet thick, is composed of less than a glass of water? 
But that glass of water is literally divided up into billions of little drops. So not much is there, but it can cripple a city. Because we're so prone to intimidation, because we are so prone to worry, to become tempted, to be anxious, then we often live without a sense of joy. Because the sense of experiencing peace and experiencing joy in our journeys, they literally go hand in hand together. And Paul knows that. Paul is aware of that intimate connection between joy and intimidation or the lack of peace. And so here in Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, he begins to address the issue. In fact, actually he addressed it starting even last week. Because remember last week in Philippians 4, verse 2 and verse 3, he talked about interpersonal conflict. And how interpersonal conflict obviously can bring us to a place where we lack authentic peace. But today what he wants to do is move from interpersonal relationships to our circumstances. How can we have that sense of peace when our circumstances are, frankly, just rough? So watch what Paul tells us this morning. And he begins by mentioning how to experience peace under immediate pressure. This is verse 4 to verse 7. In other words, what can we do when circumstances flatness, our worry rating is off the charts? Paul says you can still have peace. And it begins with the pivotal choices that we make. Paul says that there are three choices when facing intimidating circumstances that will help us. The first one, verse 4, is the choice to rejoice always. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say, rejoice. Okay, so how is that possible? When circumstances are sour, when intimidation is strong, usually that means that I'm reacting in grief or pain or sorrow or, or some sense of loss. And so if I try to act happy, that would just simply be a farce. Well, see, there's the point. Paul's not talking about being happy. But to rejoice. The two are not the same. Happiness and joy are distinctly different. We talked about this way at the very beginning of our study in Philippians. Happiness, remember, is, is related to positive circumstances, isn't it? It's when... Conditions are good. Everything is working. I'm being treated the way I think I ought to be treated by other people. Then I'm happy, of course. But change all of that around. If life hurts, if I don't get the expected results I wanted, then my happiness just evaporates. But joy is not dependent upon my circumstances treating me well. Rather, it looks at the character of God and how God's treating me well. Again, look at the verse. Rejoice in the Lord. So to rejoice is to express thankfulness. To rejoice is to express my appreciation for not only who God is, but for what God does. And we've already talked about this, about how important it is to consistently remind ourselves that joy is the same word for grace. And we understand grace. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. So at its root, joy is the recognition of what I 
have and am receiving from God that I do not deserve. So to rejoice then, to put it into a verbal form, is to then to express outwardly in some manner, through song, through prayer, some way with our lips, my thankful appreciation for what God has done for me, those things that I do not deserve to have received from Him. So choosing to consistently always rejoice helps me get my eyes off of the temporal and onto the eternal. It helps me keep my eyes on what really matters and is important and is of utmost priority. Now, rejoicing does not deny the pain. There can be pain there. It doesn't deny grief. It doesn't deny the tension that I'm feeling on the inside. But it helps me to put it into perspective. Now, there's a second decision to make. Not only am I to rejoice always, look into the passage. The second choice is to be reasonable. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Interesting. That word reasonable means to be gentle, to be kind, to be willing to yield, to be tolerant. The Greek writers would use this word reasonable to describe someone that's been drawn into a court or a legal battle, but that person doesn't insist on his own rights being met, but would yield his rights so that someone else is not damaged. Reasonable. Okay, so put this in context. Paul's talking about facing immediate pressure. When we're under pressure, aren't we tempted to be gruff? Rude, harsh. We tighten up under the expectation that we're going to experience pain. It's almost like the person who's expecting to be slugged and someone comes up behind them and just taps them on the shoulder and they just explode because they were so expecting to be hurt. So when we're facing intimidating circumstances, we often seek to preserve or to protect my Rights, And then our words become caustic. Our treatment of others lacks courtesy or is hurried. And we're not gentle, we're not kind, but we're harsh. And yet Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everybody. How do I choose being reasonable? When facing intimidating circumstances and the issue is my rights, what does then Paul say? Look at verse 5, what I've not read yet. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Or some of your translations say the Lord is near. Now Paul's words can be understood in, in one of two ways. It can either mean that first he is near in time, meaning that at any given moment our Lord may appear in the sky and return for us. That may be one way you can take this. His imminent return of Jesus Christ is something we honor and expect to happen. He's near in that way, near in time. It could also be taken as he is near in space, meaning he is watching, he is an intimate part of my life. Literally, he is involved right here, right now with me. So knowing that my Lord is near in time and near in space helps me to then to release 
or yield my rights under pressure. For my focus changes from getting what I want and pleasing myself to pleasing my Lord because at any moment He may show up. And at this moment, He is literally with me right now. And what that does is it allows me to stay sensitive to those around me and I can yield my rights to them. Wow. So peace in the face of immediate pressure is possible if I will choose to rejoice, if I'll choose to stay reasonable. Look at the third, though. The third is the choice to pray. Verse 6. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now notice the contrast in verse 6. There's a but there in, in that sentence. There's a contrast between being anxious and praying. Now why does Paul build that contrast for us? Because the word anxious. The word anxious literally means to take on responsibility. In other words, when I am anxious, I have assumed responsibility for my life. When I am anxious, I have assumed that I have to provide for myself in the middle of the situation, the pressure that I'm under. When I am anxious, I have assumed that it's all up to me to manage the circumstance I'm in. That's why prayer is the contrast. So when I pray with supplication and thanksgiving, letting my request be made known to God, I am acknowledging my desperate dependency upon God. I pray asking Him to provide because instead of taking on the responsibility that it's up to me, I say, God, this is up to you. I can't do this on my own. Someone has paraphrased verse 6 like this. I, I, I've lost where I found this, but I love it. Act as if you need to let God know what is troubling you. Converse with Him. Give Him the information. Present your plea and requests. For He is the supreme person of the universe who can hear, know, understand, care, and respond to the concerns that would sink you in despair. I think that's a great paraphrase of that verse. Now, guess what will happen when we do that? When we choose to rejoice, when we choose to be reasonable, and when we choose to pray, we can have confidence concerning the incredible promise God fulfills, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse is so easy to be misunderstood. Let's, let's examine it carefully for a minute. First of all, make no mistake about it. Look at verse 7. The peace of God, the peace that God gives is baffling. It will surpass all understanding. Meaning, when we have his peace, it will puzzle both us and those around watching us. Because there's no earthly explanation for how we can have peace in facing our immediate pressures or intimidation when God gives it. So we may be accused by those around us that of we're not being honest about the way you really feel. Others will think we are just in flat denial 
I mean, they may think we've lost our marbles because that's not how they would be responding if they were in our shoes. And that's because we're going to be experiencing a peace that is not of human origin. It is supernatural. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus promised it in advance. He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind, your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, second, there's something else to understand here. Did you notice that that verse says the peace of God will not necessarily change our circumstances? It will change us. The promise is that our hearts and our minds will be guarded by his peace. That word guard literally pictures a squad of soldiers guarding a gate. The intimidating pressure will not be let in. I mean, we often think, though, of of peace that God gives in terms of our circumstances calming down. The promise here, though, is that the peace that God offers to give us will calm us down even in the middle of our threatening, intimidating circumstances. So as we make these three pivotal choices, to rejoice, to be reasonable, to pray, God then fulfills this wonderful promise. We can experience peace in the face of our immediate immediate pressures. And then Paul says, finally, which is interesting because he's not done for a while, isn't that interesting? You know, pastors do that all the time. So finally, they're going to keep preaching for several more minutes. I often say that when a pastor looks at his watch, do you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but Paul realizes that our sense of peace is not just threatened by the present. It's also threatened by what lies in the future or at least our perception of what lies in the future. So he gives us a strategy to face what we perceive is impending. In verse 8 and 9, he now describes how to experience peace under imminent pressure. What we expect is going to come our way. And by the way, do you realize that research has shown that the average person's anxiety anxiety is focused 40% on things that will never, ever happen? 40% of it. Never going to happen. But we're worried it will. 30% of the time, our anxiety is, is focused on things about the past that can't be changed. 12% of the time, it's on untrue criticisms by others on us. 10% of the time, we're worried about our health, which, by the way, only gets worse under stress. <laughs> and only 8% of the time is our anxiety about real problems that really will be fixed. Only 8%. So what can be done about our need for peace when we're considering what could be imminent? Well, Paul mentions for two things. First... Make the choice to think correctly. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any 
excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, here's the command at the end. Think about these things. Now, don't be offended by my statement, but most of us are sloppy thinkers. And what I mean by that, that's not an accusation that you are illogical, but rather most of us allow just about anything to have access into our minds. That's what I mean by sloppy. We'll allow just anything to come into our minds. Kind of like a computer virus. We allow a malicious code to get in and it wrecks havoc. And so Paul challenges us that experiencing peace about imminent pressure comes by carefully choosing, carefully choosing what we think about. Arthur Roach has said, anxiety is this thin stream of fear trickling through the mind, and if encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are then drained. Sounds like, Philipp- uh, sounds like Proverbs 23.7, doesn't it? As a man thinks, so is he. What goes into our minds controls our lives. So how important it is to choose to think correctly. And Paul gives us here in verse 8 six qualities to be like virus protection for our minds. Six qualities to be like a filter that helps us choose what are we going to think about and what are we going to refuse to think about. And so if something doesn't fit any one of these six qualities, then it's malicious and we we should refuse to mentally hold on to it. We should discard it. What are they? Let's just look at these real quick. Six. First, is it true? In other words, that's the opposite of something being dishonest, something being unreliable, something being a lie. So when thinking about imminent pressure... Do I find myself thinking about dealing with that person in a dishonest way? Or handling a situation dishonestly? Or lying to get out of it? Am I considering reneging reneging on a promise that I've made, and in, but in doing so I would be unfaithful to my word? I mean, the word of God tells us that which is true. And so if my thoughts are contrary to what the Bible tells us, then reject it. It's not true to be thinking in that direction. Look at the second filter in verse 8. Is it honorable? That word means, is is that thought dignified? Is it worthy of respect? In other words, would that thought you're having build the respect of others for you if they knew what was going on in your mind? If you're thinking something that you really wouldn't want to have anybody else know about, that should probably be an alarm bell going off. <laughs> Honorable. Third filter. Is it just? Is it, in other words, is it in conformity to God's standards? God is the one that sets up what is just because He is just. So, would the way I'm thinking be the way that God would be thinking about this situation or about that person? Would the way I'm thinking in this situation turn out to be the way that my Lord is thinking about this situation? Is it just? Fourth filter, is it pure? 
That word means wholesome. It means it's not mixed, it's not diluted by any form of moral impurity. So is my thinking leading me to give in to temptation and sin in order to deal with the pressure of of this imminent intimidation? Fifth, is it lovely? Is it going to promote peace rather than conflict? Are my thoughts bringing peace to my heart? Or are they bringing more conflict and tension about the situation? Would the course of action that I'm considering bring peace between all those potentially involved? My friends, my family, those that I work with. Is it, is it lovely? Or here's the last one, sixth filter. Is it commendable? Commendable means is it positive and, construction, and, and constructive rather than negative and destructive? Do I find myself thinking about how I can build others up in their faith and to edify them? Or is this thought about them being torn down? Hmm. There's those six filters. Now notice how Paul then changes here and finishes up in in verse 8 by summing up these six mental filters by saying, these are excellent They're worthy of praise. In other words, what Paul is saying, those six things are the best options that our mind can dwell on. There's nothing better. So peace can be ours in the face of imminent pressure if I choose thinking correctly. And here are the six filters. But there's a second choice I mentioned. Well, it's because Paul gives it to us. The second choice is not just to think correctly. But also the choice is to practice consistently. Verse 9. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Notice, this is the decision of careful imitation. And this is just a repetition. Remember back in chapter 3, verse 17, what Paul say? He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. But notice here now in in chapter 4 and verse 9, instead of the word imitation, he uses the word practice. Practice, which is the consistent repetition of an action in order to develop a skill. Paul lived with this high level of transparency before this church so that they saw him choose to rejoice under pressure. They saw his reasonableness. They heard his prayers. They watched him choose good mental filters. So from his life, notice, they learned, they received, they heard, and they saw how to do it for themselves under imminent pressure. The same is true for us, whether it's through formal or informal training situations. We are to practice ourselves, the godly example that others have given to us. And as a Christ follower, in fact, that word practice comes from the athletic arena. I am to act like an athlete, practicing those disciplines that will develop my faith and relationship with Christ. Just like an athlete practices the skills for whatever sport he's partic- he or she is participating. Which explains, my friends, why this church has consistently over the years encouraged you 
to read and to study your Bible. To take time in prayer and to seek God's face. Because it's habits like those, skills like those that will deepen your relationship with Jesus and what they'll do, even in the face of imminent pressure, is to lead us to be able to proclaim the very thing that Paul proclaimed back in chapter 3 and verse 12 when he said, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, did you notice a sense of progression here? Right thinking leads to right behavior. And then both of those together lead to something wonderful. Look at the end of verse 9. The promise of God's presence. And the peace of God. The peace of God will be with you. Notice in verse 7, we're promised that in the face of immediate pressure that God's peace will guard. Now in verse 9, we're promised that in the face of imminent pressure the God of peace will himself be with us. There is nothing so calming as the realization that we don't face anything in life alone as the followers of Jesus. Now, we may be by ourselves, but his followers are never alone. Never. Someone has said, safety consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. So let me ask where I started. Are you feeling intimidated this morning? Are you feeling fearful? Are you feeling anxious this morning? Is the pressure immediate? Is your pressure the more imminent? Then sit back and listen to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It makes all the difference in the world who's standing next to us, doesn't it? In the face of immediate or imminent pressure. Dr. Stanley Jones once said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are like sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and obedience, I breathe freely. These are my native air. (laughs) The story is told of of a wealthy man that sponsored a contest to see who could paint the most vivid scene expressing the concept of peace. 
and two very well-known, internationally well-known, artists entered paintings. On the day of unveiling of both of the pictures, the cloth was dropped away from the first one and the crowd that had assembled to see it murmured their approval because in front of them was the scene of a quiet, serene mountain lake with a blue sky up above and very white, fluffy clouds and a, and a seed pod from a dandelion was floating on the surface of the still and reflective waters. And then the covering was dropped from the second picture and the crowd gasped. Because the second artist had drawn a raging waterfall. The setting was one of tremendous power. In fact, the artist's skill was so graphic, it was almost as if you could feel the the spray of the water roaring down from the heights. But what he had painted at the edge of the foam was a very small tree branch. And settling in the fork of the tree branch was a bird's nest. And on the nest was the mother, quietly and calmly sitting on her Circumstances of life will intimidate us, try to intimidate us. The power and spray roaring down upon us can tempt us to fear, it can tempt us to anxiety. But by the power of God's Spirit within us, we can make choices. Choices, pivotal choices about our immediate or imminent pressures. Choice that by his power and his presence will allow us to experience the joy of peace. Father, we don't have to live in Florida to feel intimidated. For many of us, that was our experience this past week. And if we were honest and we passed a microphone around, there's probably a number of us that would express how we're looking ahead to next week and we feel imminent pressure too. And so we're thankful for Paul's timely words. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this room as I've been praying for my own heart this week too. That you would give us the choice, I mean the ability to make those choices. Father, we want to be people that rejoice. We want to be people that are reasonable. We want to be people that come and pour out in prayer our our desperate need before you. Father, help us in our thought life. Oh, Father, help us in our thought life. That those six filters would help us keep our eyes on the God above us. And Father, help us to not cave in, back up, back down, but keep seeking your face in those godly disciplines that keep our relationship with you so vibrant and alive and and warm. So, Father, we, as your people, just come before you and say, Lord, you know, you know the pressures we're under. Father, but we are expecting that your word in its truth will bring to us the peace that we so desperately want to have and that you've promised we can't have. So we commit ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. 
It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.